Well, you can turn to Acts chapter 15 with me this morning. And what I've got to do this morning is uh, really finish up last week's sermon. I didn't get it done. And uh, so I, fi- I, I just kind of shut it down. And uh, so I got I to gotta finish it. We got to finish what we started last week. And so in case you weren't here last week, what we began to talk about is we began to talk about a church meeting. Ooh, that's so exciting, isn't it? Talking about a church meeting. And Acts chapter 15 records a famous church meeting called the Jerusalem Council. And this uh, meeting uh, is an unusual meeting. It's a powerful meeting. It's not your typical church meeting. And the reason why is because the topic of the meeting is the grace of God. And in particular, that all human beings, whether Jew or Gentile, whether rich or poor, no matter who you are, where you come from, all human beings can have a relationship with God by grace alone through Jesus alone not because of works but because of grace and we define biblical grace in this way we define biblical grace as an undeserved gift given from an unobligated giver and that's very important that you get that that definition right it is an undeserved unearned gift given from an unobligated giver That means when somebody experiences the grace of God, they are experiencing what God does not owe them. Can I get an amen? We are never, or let me put it this way, God is never in debt to me. God has never been in debt to another human being. God never owes anybody anything. It's not like God wakes up one day and says, I've got to get out of debt. Right? God owes nobody anything. He gives a relationship to human beings out of the abundance of his own love, out of his nature, out of, out of a giving nature. That's what God gives. And that means that you and I have a relationship with God not because of performance, but because of reception. We don't achieve a relationship with God. We receive a relationship with God. Ultimately, faith in Jesus is coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to achieve. I can't achieve holiness. I can't earn a relationship with the Holy God. What I have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have nothing to offer. Give to me what only you can give to me. What can Jesus give to me? He can give me his righteousness. He can give me his death on the cross. He can give me the power of his resurrection and all the promises that come in that resurrection. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Amen. That's not like anyone who believes in me plus goes to church enough. Or anyone who believes in me plus gets baptized. Or anyone who believes in me plus follows a set of formulas or religion. No, no, no. Jesus said, come to me and believe in me and I will give you resurrection. That's grace. That is an unearned gift given from an unobligated giver. Now, they say, okay, so back to Acts. Acts 15, church meeting. You know how an elephant was made? It's a horse made by a church committee, amen, (laughs) right, but that's not what's happening in Acts 15, this church meeting actually accomplished something, and here's what this church meeting decided, it decided that the church and Christianity was going to be a gospel for Jews and Gentiles, and that Gentiles would not have to believe in Jesus plus be circumcised, but Gentiles could believe in Jesus alone and be considered right with God, that's what this church meeting decided. And you remember, in fact, let's read Peter's words once again. Go to Acts chapter 15 and listen to the critical moment in the church meeting when 
Peter gives his case for grace in this church meeting, also known as the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15, verse 8, it says, here's what Peter said. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, that is Gentiles, non-Jewish people, God bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, Jewish people. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe... That we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now, I know I'm repeating, but just let me repeat really quick, okay? Bear would be patient with your pastor, okay? Here's what Peter's saying. This is not just theology of grace. This is not just like we're theorizing about grace. This is you all need to see the world differently because you've received grace, You Jewish guys, us fellow Jewish, we are discriminating against Gentiles based on race and ethnicity because we have failed to apply how we relate to God, you see. We know we're saved by grace, and if we are saved by grace, then we have to see people differently. In fact, if we receive grace from God, we have to see the whole world differently. You see, there's two kinds of Christians, beloved. There are balcony not anybody, not literally, but you guys are good. I love you in the balcony. But there are balconiers, Christians, and they sit up and they look at the world going by and people walking on the road of life and traveling, and they look down and they theorize about theology and they talk about all of their denominational distinctions and they theorize about life and God and and the road down below and people down below. But then there's a second type of Christians. And they're the actual travelers who are walking in on the road of life. And they're trying to figure out how to get along with people. And they're trying to figure out how to get by on this road when there's storms or when there's good times and bad times. And they're trying to figure out what life really looks like in the presence of God. And what Peter is saying is, as you are traveling through life, apply the grace of God in your life to how you relate to the world. You see, the riches of God's grace is to be applied to the realities of life. The horizontal plumb line of God's love being poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit, by grace alone, is to be flowing through us in all of our relationships. And so we said last week, let's let grace change the way we relate to the world. And there's a few ways you can do that. Let me repeat our points. Last week we said, let grace reconcile us to people. Basic idea. God makes no distinction between you and other people. God doesn't see you as richer than other people or more poor than other people. God doesn't see your ethnic background as better than other people's ethnic background. Can I get an amen? It's very relevant. What is the hope for racial reconciliation in the world? The gospel of Jesus. Jesus purchased racial reconciliation at the infinite cost of his blood. Why is the church the most segregated institution in the world? Because the church has failed to understand the gospel. Hmm. Some of us white people, we, we watch the media 
we look down on other people. It's wrong, man. We let politicians and, and uh, c- cultural, pop cultural things going on, we let that influence how we see other people more than the gospel of grace. That's wrong. You see, we are to let grace change the way we see the world, and we are to allow grace to reconcile us to other people. But not only, not only racially, but in any relationship. I talked about last week how Sherry and I are very different, which you guys are like, yeah, you are. My lose. What's the hope for a marriage of two different people coming together, two different personality types coming together? What makes, what is the glue that keeps different people united in their diversity? And the message is the grace of God. Because when you realize that I'm saved by grace alone, I can let the minor things be minor things. Can I get an amen? But when I deal with the major things and we got to have a conversation, we can do it with patience and we can be articulate and we can be slow to the table as we discuss our differences and have our conflict resolution. Grace is the trick to relationship. It really is. Now, if we walk in works and performance, if we look at other people and say, you need to perform at a certain level before I can really like you, dude, you're never going to make it. You see, let grace reconcile us to people. Here's, see, I'm re-preaching the whole sermon. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get through it again. Here's the second thing. Let grace liberate you from yokes. You remember that point last week? And there's two yokes that the New Testament says that the grace of God liberates us from. The first yoke is the yoke of the law of Moses. The yoke of the law of Moses. We might, in contemporary terms, we might say it's the yoke of religion and religiosity. When religion comes to us and says, you need to follow this set of rules plus believe in Jesus in order to be justified in the presence of God. You see, the grace of God liberates us from the law of Moses so that the law of God's love will lead us, not the law of Moses will lead us. We have been liberated from the curse of the law of Moses. The only thing that biblical religious law, and especially the law of Moses, which is the good one in the Old Testament, the only thing it can do is tell us that we're wrong. But it can't fix us. It can't change our hearts. Just like when I'm driving really fast, you know what I mean? I know, I'm a pastor. I never drive really fast. But still, work with me. He's driving really fast, and I see the speed limit. And it says, go 55. Do I always go 55? It can tell me I'm going too fast, but it can't give me a desire to go slow. And the law of Moses is a yoke. It's a burden. But here's the second law that we need to be liberated by the grace of God. It's the law of the world. And you know what the law of the world is? It's the law of self-fulfillment. I get, I'm going to go follow, the world's told me all the things I need to have to feel complete. The law of the world comes and it tells me you you need to have a certain kind of house, you need to live in a certain kind of neighborhood, you need to have a certain type of clothes. The law of the world says if you want fulfillment, then you need to go get these things, whether it's money or power or sex or politics or whatever it might be. You need your political party in the White House in order to find fulfillment and happiness. You need your country to be at a certain level of patriotism before you can see it's the law of the world. And the law of the world is a burden because you never, you know, you're always chasing the rainbow, but you never find the pot of gold, do you? You never quite do. 
People accumulate things from the world, and they wonder, why am I still empty? People, people follow all of the designs and the trends, and why am I not fulfilled? The reason why is because it's a yoke, it's a burden. And people are placed into bondage by the world, whether it's addiction or compulsion. We get addicted to our work. We get addicted to our bank accounts. We get addicted to our retirement plans. We get addicted to all of these. The American dream becomes one big drug, and it's bondage. It's a yoke. And grace liberates us from the yoke of the world. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Be liberated from the law of Moses. Be liberated from the law of the world and come into a relationship with me. Come to me and walk with me and listen to me. I will guide you. I will be your shepherd. I will be the great shepherd of your life. You will know my voice. You will hear my voice. That's what's so important about this meeting. Now we come to the place. And all of these work together, by the way. But here's my third point. This is the new one. That was the introduction. Here's the sermon. Here we go. The third thing is, let us let grace, let us let grace encourage us with assurance. Let us let grace encourage us with assurance. Now, what happens when we come back to Acts 15 and we look at this context? What happens is the result of the meeting is, is that the church council listens to Peter, which is a very good idea at this point. Paul and Barnabas, they say, yeah, signs and wonders have happened. We've seen God at work in the Gentiles. James opens up the Bible. By the way, another great thing that happens at a church meeting. Always good to open up a Bible at a meeting. Can I get an amen? And James goes to Amos and says, hey, this is biblical. This is even in the Old Testament that it's by grace alone. So he opens up Amos, and then they decide together as a church committee and meeting, they decide they're going to send a, a, a letter to the church in Antioch and to all the Gentile churches, and they're going to tell all the Gentile churches, we've had a meeting. And in this meeting, we have decided that Peter is right, Paul is right, Barnabas is right, that anybody, no matter what their ethnic background, can be made right with God by grace alone through Jesus. And so they send the letter with a dude by the name of Judas, not to be confused with the guy that betrayed Jesus and hung himself, another Judas, and Silas, and Paul, and Barnabas, and they read the letter at the church of Antioch. We're left to assume in the rest of the book of Acts that this letter was read to other Gentile churches. And let me pick up in the letter, and let's go to Acts 15, verse 24. Here's kind of the heart of the letter. It says here, uh, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you, with words, unsettling your minds, as although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have set them, we have sent, uh, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things. By word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Here's the worldly problem. There's your worldly problem right there. That you abstain from what is sacrificed to idols and from blood. 
and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together. They delivered the, the letter. And when they had read it, here it is, they rejoiced. Because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Now there's two things I need to, I need to point out as far as teaching is concerned. Verse 24, when it says that certain persons have gone out and troubled you with words. Who are those people? Those people are the Judaizers, the circumcision party. Those are the legalistic people who are coming into this church in Antioch and saying, you need to be circumcised plus believe in Jesus in order to be justified in the presence of God. And he says, they've come to you and they have troubled you with words. And that word troubled, I love that word. Because in the Greek, that word troubled was used to describe looting a town ransacking, looting, stealing a town. So imagine a little village and people go in there and they take all, you know, they take the flat screen TV and they take and they take they steal the escalades and they walk out of town with all the stuff, right? And 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 Peter or this letter is comparing legalistic people with those who trouble others with their standards. And what is it that legalism takes from people in a church? What does it take? What are the riches that it steals? You know what it steals? It steals the joy of assurance of a relationship with God. That's what legal, religiosity will take your assurance and your security that you have in Christ. And it will put it on its shoulders and it will walk out. And you will be left wondering, am I right with God? Have I done enough? Have I lived up to this obligation that religion has placed before me? Am I good enough? And we look around at sophisticated religious people who seem to do everything right. They're so charitable. They're so wonderful. They, seem to, they talk about their prayer life. They talk about how smart they are with the Bible. They talk about how sophisticated they are with their theology. And we begin to want, We become troubled. Our mind is looted and ransacked by religiosity. And we, we wonder, am I really right with God? And that's why this letter, the outcome of this letter is verse 31. When they hear this letter and they know that Paul and Barnabas was right in their gospel of grace. What does the church do? Yes! The joy of my assurance in my relationship with God is restored. What, my security is restored. I can know that I'm right with God because of what Jesus has done in my place. Isn't that wonderful? Do you not rejoice when you go, man, it's because of Jesus alone, not me. It's because of his work, not mine. His righteousness, not mine. His death in my place is what makes me right with God. That, that's... That's a foundation for joy in your relationship with God. And you know what it tells me about God? It tells me that God wants you secure. It tells me that God wants you joyful in your salvation. It tells me that God wants you to celebrate the gospel. It tells me that God loves it when you are bright-eyed 
about the word and, and him being your father and him being your God and the good times and the bad. I'm always telling my girls, my, my little girl, I love my girls. I love my I got four girls for those of you who don't know. And I love my girls. I needed girls in my life. Amen. You have no idea. God was like, you need some women. And he gave me five total. Okay. And you know what I tell my girls all the time? Girls, if we can praise God in the good times and praise God in the bad times, we will make a difference in this world. It's so easy to praise God in the good times. Sometimes it's actually hard to praise God in the good times because when everything goes right, you're like, that's right. My life is so good. So we need to remember to praise God in the good times. But praise God in the bad times. And you know how, he's like, how is that possible? Because no matter what this world takes from you, no matter what kind of affliction you might be going through, the world can never take away God from your life. The world and religion and none of it can ever look at you and say, you're not right with God. Satan can't come and whisper in your ear, look at you. Look at you. You're nothing like church member down the row. Look at you. You don't, you don't deserve. You're, you're such a hypocrite. Why are you even here? Why are you even trying this God thing? Why are you even trying this Bible thing? Why are you even doing that? And you know what you can say to Satan? You can say, I'm here because Jesus earned the right for me to be here. I'm here because Jesus purchased my assurance at the infinite cost of his blood. That's why I'm here. And God, my father, wants me to be secure in my relationship with him. You know who doesn't want you to be secure? Religion. Do you know who doesn't want you to be secure? The world. None, neither one of those realities, whether an irreligious worldview doesn't want you to be secure, you always need something more, that pot of gold, it's never going to happen. You're never going to, you're going to chase that rainbow for the rest of your life and you'll never find it. And the world will prosper off of your insecurity. The world will prosper off of your lack of assurance. The world will prosper out of you not being content. And religion thrives on your guilt thrives on your anxiety in the presence of a holy God. The religion will make you think that you're not right and you will be unsettled in your mind. You will be troubled and joy will be looted from your heart. This letter is telling this church, God wants you secure. Let grace encourage you in assurance. Let grace, the undeserved gift given from the unobligated giver, expressed in the love of Jesus dying on the cross, let that give you security and assurance. God doesn't want us insecure. God wants us secure. Let me talk about this in two specific ways. First of all, theologically. All right? What assurance in the gospel means theologically is that once you are justified in the presence of God and you become a Christian, you can never lose your salvation. You can never lose your salvation. If you have made, and let me just use this as a word, maybe it's not a totally appropriate word, but it communicates effectively what I want to. If you have made the bargain 
where you have brought your unrighteousness and your sin to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have sinned, and I believe you died on the cross in my place as my substitute, and I believe that in your resurrection I have new life and I will go to heaven. If you have made that bargain, and that is a bargain of grace, you can never lose the gift of salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's assurance because it's by grace. Now, if it's not by grace or 100% grace, then there's a chance you could lose it. But you see, the Bible tells us that we can never lose the love of God. Let me read to you some passages, all right? These are very important passages in the Bible. So uh, please take note or listen carefully. But Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now listen to this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, that went flying out of my Bible. You see that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now skip down, or let me skip down to Romans chapter 8, verse 37, and listen to these words of assurance. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How much plainer could we get? Isn't that wonderful news? Nothing can separate us from the love of God because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Demons can't separate us. Death can't separate us. Life can't separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Now, let me give you one more passage. These are vital passages on assurance. Some of the most important you'll find in all the Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and following. It says this, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Everybody say no. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Let grace encourage you in assurance. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing at all. That is a wonderful, awesome promise. When we come back to Acts chapter 15, we're reminded that that's why they're rejoicing in verse 31. They rejoiced, it says, because of its encouragement. The other night I was having dinner with somebody, Sherry and I, and we were having dinner with a dear friend, and we were talking, and she was talking about a Christian brother that she has and that she knows. But this Christian brother comes up from a theological perspective where it's possible for you to lose your salvation. You can be a Christian and then not be a Christian because of a lack of obedience and so forth. And this this Christian brother told her, you know, if I'm on my my deathbed, if if I'm about to die and I've got time to really think about my life, and I'm about to die. I want to know in that moment that when I die and I pass to the next world, I will be right with God. And if you and I, if we're on our, if we're on our deathbed and we've got time to think in that moment, what is it that gives us insurance? The work of Jesus. That's, assur- that's assurance. 
And we're all going to face God. We're going to face our maker. We're going to face our creator. And the thing is, is when he looks at us, he's going to ask us, what gives you the right? What, what gives you the right to think that you can come into my kingdom and, and participate in my everlasting kingdom? A, a, a multicolored, a, a multi-joyed kingdom everlasting in Christ. What, what makes you think and what gives you the right? And what gives me the right is Jesus. I've believed in Jesus. Theologically, that is an important point to cover. That's why this church is rooted. The Antioch church gets this letter and they rejoice at the encouragement of grace. But let me talk about it, not just theologically, but let me talk about it practically. Let me talk about it practically. I've got a, I got a quote from a guy by the name of Charles Hodge. And Charles Hodge said this about the doctrines of grace. Now listen to this. This is a great quote. He says, Charles Hodge, he says, quote, The doctrines of grace humble man without degrading him and exalt him without inflating him. That's what grace does. It humbles us without, it humbles us without degrading us and it exalts us without inflating us that's what grace of God does because here's the deal here's the truth there's two kinds of people here today and and some of us we we struggle with these tensions in our hearts I know I do some of us we're confident and we're assured and we have all kinds of security but for all the wrong reasons we're like yeah man I've got security I'm assured I mean look at me There's an assurance and a security that comes not rooted in the grace of God, but in pride. Amen? And sometimes I struggle with pride, or you struggle with pride, or because of ego, or because of what we know, or because of who we are, or background, or whatever. And we have this, this, this like idea of privileged, and we have this idea of, of, of being very important. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, I don't need the preacher to help me with insecurity, because frankly, I'm not struggling with insecurity. And you know what the grace of God does? It humbles you if you're struggling with that, but in a way that doesn't break you. It says you are loved by God, but you are not loved by God because of your performance. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And that's so important. Because if we have a superiority complex in our assurance, then we're going to treat other people wrongly. We're go- like we talked about last week, didn't we? We're going to be self-righteous. We're going to find fault with everybody around us, but we'll never find fault with ourselves. And you know, grace wants to give us the room to be self-critical, but in a context of grace and acceptance. And so practically, assurance rooted in grace should humble us when we're struggling with pride. If I am struggling with pride, grace needs to come to me. And and the Holy Spirit's done this before, by the way. He said to me, Josh, you ain't that big a deal. And I'm really surprised by that at times. I like the stories of the Caesars when they used to go on their triumphs in Rome and they used to ride on their little, their little chariot, you know, and the people were going crazy and throwing flowers and Caesar, you know, and they're all, they're all like, Caesar, you're the bomb, you're all, I don't know if they said you're the bomb, but you know what I'm saying, were there bombs back then? I don't think so. Anyways, but Caesar, and, and, they, and they, would, they would claim the divinity of, of Caesar, but there was the guy on the cart that rode behind him and he would whisper in the Caesar's ear and say, you are not a god. You are not a God. You are not a God. And they repeat that over and over again. 
I don't know if that's true history. It's just something I've read. But that's a really cool picture, isn't it? And you know what the Holy Spirit's doing as you're riding on your chariot of life? Saying, you're not a God. You're not the most important thing. My daughter and I, we went to go see The Hobbit the other day. Uh, She turned 16. Pray for me. (laughs) And in the book, in the book, it's one of the last lines in the book, if you've ever read The Hobbit. But in the movie, it's towards the end. I'm so glad they included it in the movie. But Gandalf looks at Bilbo after Bilbo's been through this big adventure, and he's got his riches, and he's got his stuff, and he's going back to the Shire, and everything's done. The dragon is killed, and all the bad guys, this big army. And there's, there's little Bilbo, and he's kind of strutting. He's like, yeah, that's right. I'm back to the Shire. I made it. You know what I mean? And Gandalf looks at him and goes, you're only a little man after all, Bilbo. And Bilbo's like, oh. And you know what? Grace looks at you and I and it says, you're only little in comparison to God at the end of the day. And your assurance and joy doesn't come in being a big deal, does it? Your assurance and security comes in God being a big deal. Your assurance doesn't come in having great faith, great mighty faith, like TV faith. Like, I'm going to walk on water faith. No, 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 our security doesn't come from that. Our security comes from having faith in a great big God. Our our security comes in our faith, God doing great things in our place. That's where our assurance comes, and it humbles us. It keeps us humble, but without deflating us or discouraging us. But then some of us come in, and we're not struggling with a superiority complex. We're not struggling with too much security. We're struggling with insecurity. We can barely walk out of our door feeling confident. We can barely be in a room with other people and feel like we belong there. You know, I'm constantly telling my girls, listen, when you walk into a room, you you deserve that room just like anybody else. If you walk into a classroom and there's a bully in that room, you go up to that bully and you say, look here, bully. I belong here just like anybody else. And sometimes we're so insecure, we can barely walk into a room with people. And you know what grace comes and it says, you are so deeply loved by God. God has put you here. God has called you here. God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. And God has saved you through the blood of his son. You can walk in grace of God and have a confidence that's not arrogant. That's not like, oh, this all belongs to me. But it puts you in that room because God puts you in that room. And some of you are insecure, and that's what you need to hear. God loves you. And if God loves you, I didn't read it, but in Romans chapter 8, if God is for you, who can be against you? I used to do a a jail ministry. I used to, in in Cook County in Chicago, used to go into this division. I did it, uh, uh, in fact, I did it through Moody Bible Institute. Yeah, Jerry, you and I, we know about that. We had to do our practical ministry. And uh, I used to do jail ministry and go into Cook County Jail. I used to go into this, into this division, and, and we would walk in, and there was like this cage, and it was like a bars wrapped around me. I'd walk in there, and I'd preach a sermon on Sunday morning. So there I was, and the people, the, the residents, the inmates in the, in, the, in the cell block, would they could listen to me, or they, did, they could ignore me. They could play cards. They could do whatever they wanted. So I had to get their attention and go, hey, you know, hey, I'm going to preach. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. See, you're a captive audience. You have to stay there until I'm done. And, you know, I mean, you could leave anytime you want, but it'd be really rude. 
they were not a captive audience, so I'd have to get their attention. I'd preach, and sometimes I'd preach to, like, two people listening to me out of 50. You know what I mean? But one time I preached on, on Romans chapter 8 where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I preached on that for, like, 30 minutes. Preached my heart out. I mean, just laid it all on the line, right? And this guy, this huge guy, massive guy, and I know I'm pretty big, but geez. And he came up, and, and I mean, he's a pretty scary-looking guy. You know, I mean, he's pretty intimidated by him. And I was kind of like, you know, he came up to my little cage. And, but I saw he was crying. He was crying. I mean, this big guy just weeping. And he said, nobody ever told me that God was for me. Nobody ever told me that. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to be told God is for you, not against you. And that's what grace does. Grace gives us encouragement in assurance. And we can look at all of God's promises and all that he's done and say, that's right. I'm assured in my relationship with God. Now, the fourth thing, let me go to my fourth point. Let grace send us on mission. And we'll pick that up next week because we're going to start the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey in the book of Acts. Okay, so let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this message of grace. I pray that, as we've talked about, that grace would let us be reconciled to people, that grace would liberate us from yokes, and that, and that grace would encourage us in assurance. Lord, we desire security, and we're grateful that you desire security in our life. You might be the only one who really wants us to be complete and secure in Christ. I thank you that if you've begun a good work in us, you will finish it. You will complete it in Christ Jesus. I thank you that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And God, if there's somebody here who needs to become a Christian, I pray that you would give them the grace to be awakened, to believe, that you would give them the gift of faith so that they would believe in Jesus for their salvation. Let me just stop right now and just ask you, if you're not a Christian, let me invite you as a preacher and let us invite you as a church to become a Christian. And the way you become a Christian is you stop and you say, Jesus, I have nothing to offer. I have come to the end of myself and I believe that you have died for my sins and defeated death. The Bible says that if any, anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that Christ uh, was raised from the dead, they will be saved. The Bible says if anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Uh, uh, the prologue in the Gospel of John says, To all who believed in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And so being a Christian is as simple as receiving what you cannot achieve. So believe in Christ today. Let him come in. Let his love and his grace transform your life. And know that by faith alone, you are a Christian and you're right with God. And if you make that decision today, I encourage you to let me know or, or, or somebody know, maybe a Christian friend that's been witnessing to you or a mentor, let them know that you've become a Christian. And certainly let me know and I can... I can give you some, some things that will help you in your next steps as you follow Jesus in this world. Lord, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for this grace. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and just spend some moments worshiping God.